Most new writers hope their book takes flight, but in the case of Jillian Graves, her debut novel actually sprouted wings. I'm so excited to introduce you to Jillian Graves, author of Kinky Witches, Flying Monsters, and High Heat Supernatural Shenanigans. I don't use dolls only because I think dolls aren't malleable enough. I was like the kid who would go to the library once a week and you would spend a dollar and you would get a bag of romance novels, like a blind bag, and then I would read them all week and then I would get another bag. I truly read whatever I was given. Like I, I can look back now and think, oh my God, I've read, I've read so many baseball romances <laughs> for how much I do not care for baseball. <laughs> you put up with the guy and he made a mistake. So you keep everything and you take more. Um, oh, I love deleting things. That is one of my favorite things. I absolutely love deleting things. Not forever, though. so happy. Do you save it or you're talking forever gone? Oh, no, no, no. Everything is in a different location. Okay. <laughs> now, I don't have any way to find it because of the old school historical romances I grew up reading is they they always had a sexy bath scene like that. Also, it's always nice to have like a reassurance as the reader that everyone is very clean. Today we talk about everything from making stone skin sexy to what readers can expect from her sexy paranormal universe called The Strange. I'm Kelly Chase and you're listening to the Fantasy Romance Podcast. Let's start with just talking about Titan, first of all, because I have a question that's been, I think, on the minds of many fantasy romance readers who deal with like non-human plus human relationships. So let's talk about the age gap. How much age gap is too much? I, so for some reason, like the more there's an age gap, the more comfortable I am with it. So like the more realistic the age gap, the more my mind like starts to like ask really practical questions about like, okay, you have like a 18 year old girl and like a 45 year old man. And I'm like, okay, well, they're very different stages in their life. And I, and I get into the very practical concerns. But when you have, I don't know, like a 500 year age gap, or I think between Titan and Juliana, it's like 670 year age gap, something like that. That's now so beyond an age gap that it like it just there's there is no wrong did you do research on gargoyles okay so they're immortal what what are some like touch points about them we should know well so i did do a lot of research in the sense that i was just trying to find what is common lore mm -hmm. with gargoyles and one of the really great things about it and what i really enjoy writing is there isn't that much common lore gargoyles are technically the water spouts, they're not actually the the um, actual like statues. Um, those are called grotesques. So we're already like ignoring the name. Yes. Yeah, so, so the common themes in anything that I read is that obviously they're protecting the location that they're at. It can be against many different things. It's not like it wasn't at least what I've researched. There's not like a commonality. Uh, of necessarily of like what they're protecting against but there isn't there isn't like a really solid common lore i know there's um i'm a big podcast person so i like looked up any like spooky uh history based like podcasts on gargoyles and like the one common story that i saw is there's um priest calling on a gargoyle to like defeat i think a dragon that was like attacking a french a small french village and that is like the like one common story that I saw multiple places. And I'm sure I am telling it incorrectly because um, it was a while ago that I 
that I did do this research. But I, I that's actually what I really enjoy about Gargoyles is that it doesn't have as solid or as like expansive lore as like vampires or werewolves or something else like that, um, where you might feel the need to uh, stick to like one set of rules or have to explain your set of rules. Um, so with Gargoyles, I felt like very comfortable picking and choosing what I wanted and then adding in more information. And a lot of it has to do with um, going back to just like, if you are a stone statue, you would exist until someone destroyed you. So inherently they are, they are immortal, but they're not, I'm losing the word right like now. Invincible. They're not unkillable. Yeah, they're not invincible. Yeah, they're not they, invincible. Yeah, yeah. They're immortal, not invincible. A long roundabout way to to get to that. No, no, I love it though, because that's one thing when you're writing vampires, which you've also done and done so beautifully, like are gargoyles harder in that respect? Because there's lore that you either have to re-explain or reinvent so that yours are more original than maybe all the other vampires out there. And that sense maybe are gargoyles or were they, you know, because you're still writing about them. Is it easier, would you say, or is there more pressure to figure all this stuff out? There feels like more pressure to explain it to the audience in a way that you can't shorthand it. Uh, whereas like with Blood Moon and I'm, I'm doing a very classic vampire in Blood Moon, I can sort of shorthand uh, what his powers are, what his limitations are, and the audience is most likely already on board. They, you know, once I've established what type of vampire it is, they're like, okay, I know the basic rules. And unless she explains something different to me, I'm good to go. Whereas with gargoyles, because they don't have as much established and, and truly like most readers who have messaged me about Titan, their, their lore of gargoyles is the gargoyles TV show. Um, so <laughs> Which is its own, you know, made up thing that doesn't necessarily tie into any historical, like too much into historical um, ideas of gargoyles. So it's mostly, I think the the work I have to put in is more into how do I explain it to an audience that isn't info dumpy, isn't that's still entertaining, and it makes sense, and you go along with. It. And can we add that is sexy because <laughs> that's oh, gonna. <laughs> That's very important. Very important. Like you think about a gargoyle and you're like, okay, all the practical questions, like what happens to the wings? Like, is that, is that why we see so many of the scenes with like Juliana and Titan and his gargoyle sense where he's like sitting up? Like, can he lay down in a bed with the wings? Like all of those <laughs> issues. Did you have like, I know some writers when they're writing romance, they have like dolls and they're like trying to figure out like, okay, is this possible? I don't use dolls only because I think dolls aren't malleable enough i mean maybe particular types of dolls but i i've definitely seen like the authors who use barbie dolls and like put them in positions and i was like well they're not bendable enough but i think what helped is is thinking about the material for for lack of a better word of like what are gargoyles made out of when they're stone in, in which case they are stone um and then when they come to life and they're sort of out of their um protector role um then their skin is leathery and much more bat-like, in which case, you know, you can fold in your wings and you can lay back if you want. But I, I imagine gargoyles are side sleepers. They're, they spend all night, you know, uh, protecting their fortress or, or in, in my case with Titan, it's depending on what job they're working. 
So they don't actually have to sleep. Um, you know, you have to rest, but they don't have like a designated, like we have to sleep from this time to this time. It makes it a little easier to not have to worry about what position he's in if uh, he doesn't actually have to sleep all that much. So yeah. Exactly, exactly. But if he's a side sleeper, he's probably an incredible big spoon, like literally the best big spoon ever. Yeah. Oh, genuinely. I, I think that's like maybe why it didn't concern me all that much is I was just like, oh, they're just always spooning and it makes it much easier. It's perfect. It's perfect. Well, that's one thing, though, that I really enjoyed about Titan is because, you know, one of the things that I think readers of fantasy romance love is being really immersed in this lore, in the world. But with Titan, it's so well balanced where you'll have a beautiful line where you talk about especially when you talked about how titan smelled i was like i can smell it it's so per like that moment was so beautiful and it doesn't feel it's it's not absurd it's not off-putting it's actually really beautiful and sensual and so i loved it i loved it so drawing on that though for the for your imagination do you have you and no spoilers here like you don't have to answer this if it's too spoilery but when the gargoyles were created by the coven is it your vision that like each of them are different their stone is different their composition so like with every book in the series would we expect the gargoyles to be different or very much like brothers uh they're certainly brothers but but um they are one of the things i really enjoyed about writing gargoyles is in the same way gargoyles in real life like the actual or grotesques in real life like they all have different attributes so even though they're made from mostly the same stone, I'm trying not to give away too much because there is some stone stuff later uh, that becomes important. So so they all have different tails. They all have different, and, and of course, other parts correspond to the tails. So those are different too. Um, you know, uh, some have horns, some don't. Some have hair, some don't. So the, the sort of very like specific physical attributes are completely different between each gargoyle and and part of that had to do from the the very selfish desire to be able to write different intimate scenes differently based on the character um and because they have different equipment they're working with so each gargoyle has different equipment and they get to use it in different ways um and i like to think that i tied it into their personality and and how they would choose to use those attributes um, but but honestly, uh, one of the big um, inspirations for the gargoyles in their personalities, in what their kinks are, is kind of boiling down like what a gargoyle is in an architectural sense of like where they are, they're grouped together. So that means they're sort of family based. Uh, they're protecting a location. So they're going to be incredibly loyal, incredibly protective territorial uh and and so with a lack of like a whole bunch of folklore and and lore in general around gargoyles i just sort of went to the architectural like aspect of them and and how that would translate into personalities so so yeah so they are they're different but they have a lot of commonality and so does is that how say for example specifically with titan and i don't think this spoiler because the title gives it all away like the daddy dynamic was that sort of born from having this idea of so i guess that's my question which came first sort of titan and his personality as a gargoyle or were you already thinking about certain themes and what the best type of character would be to, to pair with those themes a, a little bit of both um i definitely knew i wanted to write kink and, and power dynamics because i just enjoy that um 
And it was very easy. Like once you start breaking down, what does it mean to be a creature whose entire purpose was created to protect a location? Um, Like to break those down into what kinks and what power dynamics make sense with Titan. We have a daddy Dom that makes sense. Uh, He is sort of the head of his brotherhood. And so he's naturally in that kind of protector um, paternal position uh we have uh rook coming up where it's a primal kink which again to me if if you are being super territorial and protective of a location that easily translates to that we have a submissive gargoyle coming up which also to me makes sense as so like if you are a creature who's literally been tasked with a job and you take a lot of pride in being uh in fulfilling you know, uh, the role you've been given, like that makes sense to me. So uh, it it was, I I can't, I don't remember which one came first, but they feel like they came very like intertwined. Yeah. Yeah. And so if, who came first when you were writing specifically Titan, would you say Titan or Juliana? Uh, Juliana. Absolutely. Because I just, I liked the idea um, because it's a, I don't want to say it's a pet peeve because it is something that I've, enjoyed many books that have this in it um and i feel like it's a classic of like the the historical romances i i grew up reading which is there would be a point where the heroine who is poor and she comes from a lower class family and she's really struggling to meet make ends meet and she meets this wealthy man who provides everything for her and then at some point uh he does something and she ends it all and in doing so she gives everything back and she goes back to her her life of struggle and i do not care for that i think you put up with the guy and he made a mistake so you keep everything and you take more um so she absolutely came first because i always thought that was like such uh it, it, it didn't make sense to me because if you if you were a person who's who's genuinely struggling and think why why wouldn't you take this stuff with you and help yourself out and to me juliana is very practical in that sense where she's she's about survival and um yeah she's she's not going to give it back she's going to take more and so i think my love of that <laughs> is is what made me like really go all in on juliana first and then Um, But Titan was close behind. Well, and that's one of the things about her that is so interesting because in fantasy, I feel like you see two sort of archetypes for that main female lead where they're either completely powerless and they get saved or they come out, you know, they're the hero and then they go through some trauma of some sort. So for Jules, she is on this power journey that is really intricately woven with the relationship with Titan. And I don't want to spoil anything, but let me just ask about, so when you were putting her together in these issues and themes, like there's some dark stuff with her and her journey and her, Mm -hmm. and her backstory. Like, did you draw on certain inspirations or was it just, did you just find pieces that like almost putting a puzzle together? You knew who she wanted, who you wanted her to be. How did, how did Jules come together? Uh, a, a couple things. Um, one, I, a lot of my adult life has been spent around sex workers and very in various different, uh, you know, classes, lifestyle stuff, whatever. Um, and so I was very much drawing from people who did this kind of work 
around me and the very sort of it is work and it's there's a very practical mindset about it. So it was pulling a little bit from that. It was also pulling from, honestly, the Free Britney movement. At the time that Britney was going through uh, (laughs) her, like the um, dealing with her conservatorship and getting out from under her conservatorship. And, And so like kind of the combination of what does it mean when you are someone who a child actor who grows up and has been completely responsible and then as happens unfortunately so often all that money has been spent and and taken away from the actual person who earned it by the time they turn 18 and uh so so it was kind of a combination of what was what i was seeing in relationship to britney but also so many kind of maligned women through throughout like a um, pop culture and then also the people who I've learned from and uh, taking classes with and friends who who have that kind of lifestyle and, and do that kind of work. Well, and you write so much about, you know, kink positivity, sex positivity in your in your writing. Is that something that when you I mean, I assume that you have been reading romance for a long time, but maybe we should talk about that journey a little bit. Like, did you ever decide, like, sit down and say, like, this is the kind of story I want to tell because this is what I've read. And this is like, how did you decide what area of romance you wanted to write? Uh, So I've been reading romance since I was 12. And I was I was like the kid who would go to the library once a week and you would spend a dollar and you would get a bag of romance novels, like a blind bag from the library bookstore and then I would read them all week and then I would get another bag. And so I truly read whatever I was given. Like I, I can look back now and think, oh my God, I've read I've read so many baseball romances <laughs> for how much I do not care for baseball. Um, but it was just it was what was in the bag and so I was gonna read it. Uh, b- but then when I started to get a taste of like what did I actually like, I read a lot of historical romances. Um, I definitely grew up with um, like the classic, like I, like 80s, 70s, 80s, 90s, like bodice ripper romances. And I loved how over the top they were and how like sweeping they were. And they were historical, but they also felt like fantasy too. And so that like very much led me into reading Paranormal because it was, it gave me the same feeling as this, this whole world even if it's a contemporary world that has paranormal elements in it, it's still a, like a whole whole new world. And these big, big emotions, big, big actions, like no one's no one's doing anything halfway. It's all to the extreme. And so it was kind of like the more that I think about it, it was kind of a pretty natural transition from those old school historicals into paranormals, which when I was reading them, that's like early 2000s are when paranormals got really popular and so I think it just kind of naturally I went into it and uh very happy to find it and (laughs) stuck around uh I definitely like would occasionally take uh little vacations into other subgenres and I still do but I always come back to to paranormals Maybe we should line up the timeline then. So at what point did gargoyles and romance converge in your life? Like, have you always been interested in gargoyles? Like, or was this an adulthood discovery? It was for how much it now makes perfect sense to me. It was very recently. Um, 
so obviously I did watch the Gargoyles TV show when I was younger. I was a big fan. I did enjoy Goliath, but it wasn't until maybe was it three years ago now someone was putting together a monster romance anthology. And I would say this is like right on the cusp of monster romance becoming a more popular thing. And a friend in one of my writing groups, she was like, you should really submit to this. And this was at one of our like writing group sessions. And I was like, I don't know. But then the whole session, like all I could think about is like, what monster would I write? And that became a whole discussion uh, between all of us in our, in our writing group of like, what monster would we write? And it's pretty interesting. And I would like recommend people do this with their friends is like, just ask people like what the first monster like that comes to their mind that they would write a romance about or want to read a romance about because people have very strong opinions that's the they they don't even know they have them and then you just go what what monster would you want and they're like oh vampire of course but everyone would pick vampire and you're like no not everyone would pick vampire and so there's a reason behind it and so just it like didn't even i don't know how much like there wasn't much of a thought process that i was just like gargoyle immediately now, I can see, like, common themes uh, in the monsters that I like, other than vampires actually don't don't line up with this. But uh, I do enjoy monsters that I think are warm and mm. cuddly in some way, like have the ability. And while gargoyles are stone in their, you know, alive, totally alive form, they're more leathery and they absorb the sunlight. Um, so they're kind of, I always sort of think of them as like a, uh, one of those rocks that lizards lay on and they get to, you know, sort of be toasty all the time. So, but there wasn't much thought process about it. It just was this instinctual certainty that gargoyles were the, the character that I wanted to write, the monster I wanted to write. Amazing. And so now a whole series, Romancing His Stone, which, you know, I grew up the daughter of a romance writer. So just the series title alone, like brings me so much happiness. But so now a whole series, are we going to see all of the gargoyles potentially? Or will there be crossover with other aspects of this? This is not a spoiler, but of the strange, which is your specific paranormal sort of community? Uh, definitely crossovers. There's already, I do a lot of like hints of crossovers, whether or not people always know they're there. I'm not sure. Um, but they make me happy to write them. It's a small community. It's all in Los Angeles. Uh, I, I will start having some strange that are in other uh, parts of the U.S. But for the most part, it's all focused in L.A. And it all is all interconnected and they work with each other. Titan and his uh, brothers, they often work for other strange. So there's definitely going to be a lot of overlap. All the gargoyles, all the brothers are going to have stories. There's one gargoyle that is not part of the main, actually there's more than one, that are not part of the main brotherhood who will get stories as well. Um, and then certainly I have the potential to give all the gargoyles stories. Like in my mind, the the inspiration is, <laughs> is there for everyone to get a story. All, you know, all the gargoyles who were on the fortress, but uh, it'll a little bit depend on where I'm at by the time I get through all the stories I know. At that point, people might be over gargoyles. I might be over gargoyles and, and need a bit of a break. I can't imagine ever being over your gargoyles. They are so like, I love that there's like <laughs> the funny one and like they all have distinct personalities, even in such a short book. So I'm really excited to see Rook and I don't want to give it away if it's if it's, I think I think we know what's coming. Rook and Eden, right? They're going to be the next book. Yeah. 
Awesome. Awesome. And do you think Juliana, for example, would have any advice for Eden about actually dating a gargoyle? Because she's been, Eden's close to them, but not in the same way. Yes. I feel like Juliana is not, she's she's for the girls. She is going to give her all the information, any questions uh, Eden wants answered, in as graphic a detail, <laughs> she is very comfortable giving that advice. Definitely wardrobe, uh, wardrobe help, fashion help. She's there for it. The fun thing about Juliana and uh, Jules is because she's a sugar baby, because she's also an actress, she's very observant. And so she already knows what's going on. She already sees what's happening. And I think uh, she would be very happy to help help Eden along in that journey. Now this this might be really overly technical, but is the brotherhood are they all like male gargoyles or could there be a female, could there be a non sort of humanoid like where it's just a bat or a lion or something? Is there any limitation on the gargoyles in your universe? Truly the only gargoyles that have life to them that aren't an actual architectural carved creation are the only one are the ones created by the coven. So there's only been 20 in existence and while we don't we don't we meet very few of them especially in titan um and we'll meet some more of them later on uh the ones we will meet so far are all male identifying but that is not necessarily all of them and that's a little bit where we'll see how far i get in the stories because i have ideas for for other stories with um different gargoyles i think you said in one of your bios somewhere that you live with cats and like you're ginger human so will there be a ginger gargoyle i i will say this is like the problem i run across that i didn't really think through is they're essentially all well okay so in their gargoyle form they're all different shades of grays and blacks and whites because they you know they're stone But then some gargoyles have glamour rings that have been given to them by the coven and that allows them to present as human when need be. Uh, They don't love doing it because I, you know, and because I don't love doing it. I like to keep them as gargoyles, but they do have it, the ability so they can blend in when they need to. So we do have one of the gargoyles who is ginger in his human form. But but that's that is much (laughs) that is as much uh, like color variety as we're going to get, you know, because as gargoyles, they're all gray. All right. Can we talk just a little bit about like jewels versus because we haven't talked too much about Blood Moon, which is out there, too. And that's amazing. No gargoyles, really. It's it's vampire and witch. So Hazel, can mm-hmm. you tell us a little bit about Hazel? Maybe even just compare her to jewels, because I see them as having a lot in common, like they're kind of cut from the same cloth, so to speak. Yeah. Definitely. Um, They're definitely both women who are very uh, take charge in their own lives and their own goals. So for Jules, it's about um, finding like financial stability and um, being in control of her getting to be in control of her choices because she wasn't when she was younger um, and having the security of, of money um, that will allow her to not be under anyone else's control. For Hazel, it's a much shorter story, so we're, we're getting less into it, but she is someone who is determined, who has a strange bar, so bar that is for the supernatural creatures in LA, and she is determined to make it a success, however she can do it. And so I think they're both 
they definitely have that in common where they're very determined and to achieve their goals and are very prepared to do it on their own without a whole lot of people's help. I think Hazel's a little more accepting of help than I think Jules is, but I, I do think they have that similarity. There are a lot of similarities for someone who just like loves the inventiveness of some of your scenes. Like there's a bathtub scene in Titan. There's a shower scene in Blood Moon. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. Oh, yeah. so. <laughs> I didn't even think about that being the commonality because... Uh, I think you'll find that uh, baths, showers, things like that are, are a pretty common theme in all my books, um, in part because of the old school historical romances I grew up reading, is they they always had a sexy bath scene. Yeah. Um, and so it felt very like if to make myself happy, I need to include something like that also it's always nice to have like a reassurance as the reader that everyone is very clean if you don't know what I mean, you know depending on what just happened especially in in titan's book you know it was nice for him to to rinse off but yeah that's, that's definitely common <laughs> between blood moon and uh and titan both have some bathing scenes we've just set the bar really really oh, very high. different yeah very different bathing scenes very very different but now we've set the bar like you've got to develop a bathhouse you've got this whole laundry list of like how else <laughs> can, how can i make a sprinkler sexy oh i mean with rook i really had to work to, to to get it in there but it's in there so when you're writing not to go too deep into you know the writer you but more just like do you write on a laptop do you write you know old school how does the story come together for you do you have to keep lots of notes and oh i i couldn't imagine writing uh like pen and paper that's uh anyone who does that impresses me because i could never do that um i definitely write on my laptop however i do i have lots of like whiteboards and and um cork boards where i have like notes like on cards written out usually for structure just so i can have like like in one shot, be able to view the entire structure of the book. And then I do so many drafts. Uh, so I do a lot of prep work. That's like, th that's a little bit more physical of like actually handwriting out note cards or with my whiteboard. I also do a lot of, ex I mean, truly I will try any, any way like to, to, uh, get the story out um but the ones that are consistent i do a lot of excel sheets where i will do like character breakdowns um i will write out if i feel like i don't i'm trying to still find the character i'll write my character in a therapy session like what are they talking to their therapist about just so i can like get a sense of their voice and how they handle whatever is going on in their life. If someone uh, posts like this works for me, I'll like try it once just to see if it's, if it, you know, ends up being a tool that's helpful because you never know what's going to work. Uh, but mostly I write on my laptop. Is there anything you must have some really fun, like behind the scenes stuff that just never made it, it will never make it into any of the books. Like, is there anything you've written that you were like, oh, I wish I could find a way, like a dream sequence, anything to get this in there. Or is it really just like, it helps you sort things oh. out? <laughs> bonus scene yeah well you know i tend to not have a lot of bonus scenes other than i have a lot of like bonus content for the scenes if, if that makes any sense so usually most scenes are much longer and then i have to cut them down a lot 
But I think the most, like the the only things, only time that I'm like sort of disappointed is when I have to change the POV because I might write an entire chapter in one character's voice and I'll really like that and I'll really like what we're getting from it. But for the story overall, it doesn't work and it needs to be in the other character's POV. So I think the thing that I feel like a little sad about is that there are scenes where I really want to give the other characters POV, um, which is why I like understand when authors will put out a whole book that's in a different character's POV. I go, okay, I get it. I get, it. I don't think I could do it because once I'm done with the project, like I don't want to go back to it. I do understand it because I have so many chapters that are written in the different characters POV that, um, that, that have like just kind of cute or, or interesting little tidbits about that character that I wish I could put out there, but I'm like, well, yeah, but everything else about this chapter is wrong. So it's got to be in the other person's POV. Do you have a favorite part of the writing process? Like it, it can even be like when the writing is done and you get to come up with the cover art. Like, do you love like character creation? What's your favorite part? I actually really like editing, which I know most people don't like. But I think because I write so much ahead of time that I'm really finding the story when I edit it down. And so that's where I feel like it all comes together. So in the lead up to it, when I'm writing tons and tons of words and lots and lots of drafts, it can feel a little all over the place. And when I get to go back, and I would say maybe not the first edit, maybe the second edit when it's a little farther along, then it's really finding what the story is and who the characters are. And I think at that point, it's like, it's far enough along in the process that I know the characters' voices really well. And it's really obvious when it's, okay, they would say that, they wouldn't say that. It becomes much easier to um, cut things out. Um, ooh, I love deleting things. That is one of my favorite things. I absolutely love deleting things. Not forever, though. so happy. Do you save it or you're talking forever gone? Oh, no, no, no. Everything is in a different location. Okay. Now, I don't have any way to find it. Of course. I have no nothing that would let me know that's where it is. But if I really wanted it, it is somewhere. And I could spend hours and hours, days and days trying to find it. Um, but, oh, no, I love deleting stuff. That is, <laughs> that is my favorite. It goes to the relic room. It's in another realm. It's somewhere. You just exactly. You just don't exactly. know where. It's own pocket dimension. I don't. <laughs> I don't think about it. What about your side characters? Like I loved Sophia, um, Jules' roommate. Do you create like a, a family tree or a character Bible where you think, oh, I could bring her back. I could bring her back. Or is it more like she worked in the moment, love the name? Do you have like a plan for everybody and everything in the world? With Sophia, um, she, she was like really clear to me from the beginning. Um, one, because I wanted to make sure I was showing Jules doing sex work and I was showing her kind of at a low point. And so it was really important to me that because of how often sex work can be betrayed really negatively in, in romance and in any genre, um, I wanted to make sure she had a support system, uh, that Jules had a support system um, within sex work and someone who was sort of living the dream of it to show the, the opposite 
of um, what Jules was dealing with at the moment. She worked in the moment, but also she's, there's a lot to her that you guys, that didn't need to be in the book, but I know <laughs> just as like a, a, so to me, she's a very fleshed out character. Um, whether or not she'll come back, I haven't, don't have any plans for her yet, but never say never because definitely anytime I write a character, a side character, my mind always goes, okay, what can their, their romance be? But so far, Sophia's having a great time. She's she's on like a uh, a whirlwind, you know, tour um, with her with her very wealthy sugar daddy. So she's doing great. One thing that was really important to me with Jules, and so particularly Sophia at this point, was I have a natural tendency to write loner heroines, heroines who don't have a ton of support. Um, and I really wanted to get away from that because I think if you, especially in this situation where Jules is reliant on someone else for financial stability, I didn't want her to be also emotionally completely reliant on someone else. I mean, one, she's very confident in herself and has figured out a lot of things on her own, but also I wanted to make sure she had the support system of a friend so that even though her relationship with Titan is, I mean, it's consensually, there's a consensual power dynamic. I didn't want you to think, I didn't want the reader to think that Jules was ever going to be stuck with Titan if she didn't want to be. I wanted people to think, okay, she has a life that she can go back to and it's fine. She's just at a little bit of a, a down moment right now. Yeah, I mean, every other side character you should assume we'll come back at some point because most of them I've already got stories planned out from. Well, and I think that's one of the most perfect things about Jules is your goal for her life. It gave her a chance that when she did run into conflicts with Titan, again, spoiler free conflicts, but when she did, she had <laughs> choices. She wasn't fully dependent on him. She was still her own independent person with a life. And so she was able to make choices and stand up for her, her own power in different ways that I thought was amazing. So when you read, let me ask about your reading then. Are you a mood reader or do you finish absolutely everything on your TBR list? Oh, uh, 100% a mood reader. Um, I have piles and piles of books that I pick up just because I like the cover. I'm such a mood reader that if someone, if I'm planning to read a book, a particular book, and then someone comes up to me and tells me I should read that book, my brain will go, nope, now that someone has told you to read it, you can't read it. I have no problem DNFing um, at any point. <laughs> I have a lot of books that are like half read. I'm a big audiobook reader. And with audiobooks, I'm more likely to finish it just because I think that one, I love voice actors and I love listening to books, but also I'm more likely to be able to like do something while I'm I'm reading and so I'm able to get through books that maybe um, if I was like sitting down to read them, I'd have to like take a break from or come back to later, maybe DNF even. But 100% a mood reader uh, to a degree that I do not like. I, I wish I wasn't this way. <laughs> I wish I could stick to a TBR. So do you have any like hobbies or activities or even just things you like to do when you're listening to an audiobook, Or is it just in the background of your life when you're driving, working, whatever? Usually driving or cleaning. Just driving because I live in LA and so there's a lot of driving. And then cleaning because I don't like to clean. So it just makes it all much more enjoyable if I get to sort of uh, 
say, well, okay, yes, I have to clean, but I get to listen to a book. So the cleaning will be worth it because I get to listen. To I mean, I should, I should do more. I love crafting. So I should do more uh, listening to audiobooks while crafting. So maybe, maybe I'll try to work that in more. Do you listen? Can you listen to things while you write or are you just completely silent? Oh God, no, no. I need like silence. Um, I can have like, I, I write sometimes at the library. So there can be like little murmur whispering, but that is probably the, at most, at absolute most. Um, occasionally people will decide to have conversations in the library and that throws me off completely. Can't do it. So no, I, absolute silence. The only time I ever listen to anything is if I'm writing a sex scene. Sometimes I'll listen to a song ahead of time that has the has the flow of the scene that I want and the the emotion of the scene that I want. And I'll come back to it while I'm writing just to make sure that I'm like staying in that flow. But even that I'm not, when I'm actually physically writing, I'm not going to listen to it. I just sort of have it play it, inter intersperse it in the writing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I need to have like noise canceling headphones on just because even just like being aware that my dog is begging for attention is distracting. You know what I mean? Like gets you right out of the moment. Yeah. Does that happen with your cats? Is that why you have to write at the library sometimes? Is it just? Um, sometimes, although I will say my cats now, I would say the cats I've had before are a lot more physically needy than the cats I have now who don't mind giving me some space. So other than I will say that uh, Salem at night he gets real needy at night. And so that's when that's when we have a problem. But for most of the day, I'm pretty good. Amazing. All right. So let's do, can we play a little like this or that with Titan and Blood Moon? So I'll ask you a question and then Absolutely. you pick one of the two titles. Okay. So if I'm reading just purely for steam, purely spice, which one? Titan, Blood Moon. Purely for spice, I would say Blood Moon because you get more bang for your buck, I think. Literally. Shorter story, but I think the same amount of, yeah, th I think the same amount of sex scenes, but a shorter book. Yeah. Okay. Amazing. Amazing. So what if I'm awake in the middle of the night and I might want to try to go back to sleep, so I'm just going to read a few pages. Which of the two is going to hook me and make sure there's no way I'm going back to bed? A novella is always going to trick me into staying up later because it's shorter. And so my brain goes... Well, it's not that many more pages. Yes. So I, I think that would be Blood Moon as well. I think depending on where you are in Titan, like if you're just starting Titan, maybe not because you've got the whole rest of the book to get through. But I do think by the time, I mean, by the time you get to like chapter three, I think we've already gotten a sex scene and, you know, that might hook you on for, for a little while. Okay. Last one. I'm getting over an ex and I might be a little deep in my feelings. So which of the two is more likely to make me cry? Oh, I think Titan. Yeah. I think Titan would more likely make you cry. I also think like hopefully you will identify with Jules and when she gets her her moments, you get to feel feel how she feels and um, cry it out when you need to, but also feel um, like a badass too. All right. If you had to pick just one one type of strange to be your roommate gargoyle or vampire which would it be oh gargoyle 100 percent. yeah well it's not even like not even a question because one they don't well i think with a vampire you got to be like very concerned about light coming in so i, I, I think there's just going to be more rules with the vampire um and i think with a gargoyle we're like they're very like hardy 
and kind of can go anywhere, do anything. Like, so they feel like very low maintenance roommate. So I definitely think a gargoyle. He kind of got like a, a free security. So that's true. Know, that's not too bad. But you do have to be careful with your valuables. Like there, there's a scene in Titan in a Picasso where you, you do want to, and yes. for all of us who live in LA and have Picassos just hanging in our apartments, that might be a fact. Oh, you know. Also, they're very wealthy. So I'll take, I'll take being a roommate to, in a very nice house um, uh, with a gargoyle. But yeah, they, they live a very particular life. So I think with a gargoyle roommate, you would have to be very careful Um because they live, they live a very particular way in order to fit through doors and to not knock things over. But I'm going to assume if a gargoyle is my roommate, he's they they spent the money. I they've got a big enough place to fit them, so I'll make sure that my valuables are locked up. <laughs> but I think I think we'd be okay. No sharing a single studio like in North Hollywood or anything. Just no, no, no. <laughs> No, no. I, I do think if it's a single studio, then we'll have to go with the vampire. Um, but I think assuming they're going to be paying more than half the rent, then we'll go with Gargoyle. Exactly. Vampire could be on the opposite schedule. It could almost be like living alone. You're up during the day. They're up at night. Oh, that's that's true. Perfect that's partnership. True. And I'm not trying to persuade you. I'm with you. I love I love the Gargoyle idea, especially if the place is huge, which you don't find too often here. Yeah. Amazing. Well, so Jillian, can you tell us just a little bit of what's ahead, what you're writing, where we should look for you and where we can find more content from Jillian Graves? Sure. So um, I have a short story uh, called Daddy of the Sea. So if you liked Titan and you like the Daddy Dom aspect, I have a short story coming out in uh, the Monsters in Love uh, anthology Lost in the Deeps. Um, that's coming out end of this end of September. Um, then I have my novelette, uh, which if you want more gargoy gargoyles, um, called The Stone and the Star, and that's going to be coming out in October. And then I have Rook coming out, uh, TBD, but even more gargoyles, even more kink. And if you want to keep updated on when that's coming out and all my news, um, you can find me on Instagram and on Twitter at Dame with a Pen or on TikTok at Jillian Graves Author. Um, all those places have a link to uh, my newsletter um, where I send out very occasional but very fun newsletters that'll keep you up to date on everything that's happening. And I just started a new monthly monster astrology newsletter. So if you want to get your monster horoscope stuff I sign up. And you have a store, right? I can actually get more of these cute little guys if I want more. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I have an Etsy store. Um, I'm pretty sure if you just, I actually don't know how it like, <laughs> searches, like how you search for it on Etsy, but it's on Etsy. Um, it again is linked in all my social media bios. It's um, will be on my website and everything like that. JillianGraves.com. Uh, um but you can also just search Jillian Graves on Etsy and I sell fun little chibi stickers like that of Titan and Jules and Hazel and Vlad. So um, I also have some fun uh, like 90s uh, monster fucker stickers and um, signed books and there'll be prints. And I love I love like what you asked what my favorite part of being an author is and outside of the writing aspect of it, my favorite part is getting to commission artists 
to bring especially the spicy scenes but any aspect of uh, my stories to life so i have some really beautiful pieces of, of artwork on etsy Chilean, have you done signings? Are you in person with your readers? Or do you mostly connect online? Uh, mostly connect online. I have a couple things hopefully coming up next year where I'll be going in person, but those things aren't set in stone yet. I went to uh, one of my first cons this year and it went really well. And so I'm hoping hoping can do I can do more like in-person signing. More of that. Well, I think the Gargoyle romance writer should set things in stone. So we approve. Thank you so much, Jillian. This was so fun. Thank Thank you you so much for sitting down and sharing, giving us the inside view. And now I know, you know, how stone skin came to be, how it feels and how you figured out (laughs) what, what it was supposed to look like.